At one time or another, we are all called to leave the safety of our homes, the certainty of what we know, the illusions of who we are. Not everyone will heed this call, of course, and those who do will risk losing themselves completely. But if we choose to ignore the invitation, we risk never knowing who we might have become. We risk dying without knowing what it is to live. Thomas Lloyd Qualls, Painted Oxen. Hey there, folks. You are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the Cantonese Chris Kringle Church. Uh. I think Colombian would have been better because the snow could be an allegory for cocaine. Whatever. It's a family show. We have other episodes. Yeah. Trying to get in the spirit. Uh, Today, we are talking about the hero's journey. This one might be a two-parter, folks, because... It's going to be pretty long. So you're going to want to buckle yourself in. Like the, like the hero's journey. It's very long. Very long. Almost endless at times. You might even circle back around and just start over and you won't even notice because you're just in a daze. This article is from blog.readsy.com. It's not, it doesn't have an author, so I'm just assuming it's a, a, one of them learning sites. You know, them sites that you go to to uh, get the learning. Get your smarts on. Okay, The Hero's Journey, An Author's Guide to Plotting. Contents, what is The Hero's Journey? I'm not going to read all that. (laughs) Ever notice that many stories seem to have a similar pattern? There's always a protagonist who goes on an adventure. I like that adventure. He makes new friends, or she, makes new friends, encounters roadblocks, fights a bad guy, or girl, and returns home. You see, got language now. He's got to police it. You can't just say a bad guy. Person. Bad person. Bad being. Yeah. Because why I gotta be a person? Why do I have to be a person? Can be a lizard thing. Makes new friends, encounters roadblocks, fights a bad person, and returns home a changed person. Ah, because that would have been stupid sounding. That's what I see. In fact, we can sum it up for you in two words. Hero's journey! I kind of want to read this whole thing like uh, Dude from the Goonie Sloth. Uh, Hero's journey. See, that just that just gave me that just gave me Matt Matt Damon. Matt, Matt, Matt Damon. I yeah, probably something more like that. Didn't <laughs> I haven't seen the Goonies in so long. I don't quite remember what Sloth is. It just he was a little special. I think the story structure is is as old as time, from Theseus and the Minotaur to the Lion King. So many narratives follow this pattern that it's ingrained in our cultural DNA today. In this post. We'll show you how to make this classic plot structure work for you and recap it all in a neat infographic. So I guess I will put this in the show notes so people can see the infographic. Ready to answer the call of adventure? Let's cross the barrier. Um, I'd like to start this episode by saying that I've actually read many stories that are has no um, hero's adventure at all. Because like the Japanese literature that I read from time to time usually doesn't follow that structure so much. The samurai stories and things like that do, or the modern ones, there was a good chunk there where it was just about, it's like Seinfeld, just about nothing. <laughs> a book about nothing, you're just there. Do you think you'd ever make those two comparisons, like Japanese literature and Seinfeld, have anything in common? I can make anything of <laughs> You just, you, you, what the deal with? What's the deal with We're... them goddamn emperors, you know? <laughs> What's the deal with them shogunites? <laughs> you ever notice... 
You ever notice when you try to steal the Shogun's rice and he catches you? He cuts your head off. They don't start with a leg or a hand. They just go straight to the head. I don't know if you noticed in the beginning of that. I stuttered at, a, at, a, at the beginning because I almost went like super racist, like Chinese accent oh. over like with what the deal. Well, we're talking Japanese, so that wouldn't have made any sense. Racist Chinese Jap- caricatures. It's a different language, sir. Yeah, I know, I know. They all use squigglies, though, right? So, yeah, not just squigglies, lines. <laughs> Man, I was gonna almost say something racist. No, fuck. <laughs> And just like that, DPW was canceled. What is the Hero's Journey archetype? The Hero's Journey is a classic story structure that's shared by stories worldwide. Coined by academic Joseph Campbell in 1949, when I was looking up the quote for the beginning of this, most of them were from Joseph Campbell. So apparently, he knows what he was talking about. I did not choose one of his quotes because I didn't feel like reading five paragraphs. But Joseph Campbell, 1949, it refers to a wide-ranging category of tales in which a character ventures out to get what they need, faces conflict, and ultimately triumphs over adversity. Here are the three stages of the hero's journey. The Departure Act. The hero leaves the ordinary world. Now, in your writing, how often do you use that as your beginning? Um... Probably not too much. I'm sure I have. I mean, I guess it depends what you define as world, because obviously you're kind of thinking of a greater scheme thing when you think of just, you know, the world. But if it's just the hero's world, like a lot of your stories probably, you know, like the um, Daily Rounds was about the guy getting a job at the the apartment building, but he left his life. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. You just... It doesn't have to be a grand departure from your your life. It's just a departure. You're doing something that you leave the comfort of your home and your journey begins. And I feel like this works better more in the uh, long form or, yeah. or serial storytelling. And in, in a short story, it might be like the, a little harder because, you know, you kind of have to like dive right in. So you might miss some of that stuff. Yeah, you don't actually get to set up the uh, – I like to think of uh, Zelda, the video game series. Yeah. Um, he's always in like, what's well, kind of like the Shire from Lord of the Rings. Like he's this little wooden, I forget where the, what the name of his little town is. It was like a little village in the woods. Um, most of the stories has Link, the protagonist in that little village. And then he leaves the comfort of yeah. the village, like, but they set up the story. So you learn kind of about him and his family or non-family or whatever the story may be. But you, you start off there, like Lord of the Rings, you start off in the Shire, and you learn about the characters and their world, and you get a feel for their daily life, and then, bam, they go on their adventure. Well, you don't obviously get that if you're having a very condensed or short story. It's hard to set that up. The next part is the Initiation Act. The hero ventures into unknown territory, the special world, quotations, and is birthed into a true champion through various trials and challenges. I like to think of Hercules doing yeah. the... The 12 uh, feats of whatever. Strength, I think. Yeah, the uh, that was pretty awesome. I wish they would have did that in that Rock movie. I didn't watch it because it wasn't really about his... Uh, what was that? Oh, they, had a, they had a term for that. The uh, 12 something or other. But um, they just kind of... I think they just kind of glossed over that where he's doing all that cool shit. Like taking out the uh, Hydra and all that yeah. stuff. It's like, oh, come on, man. That's what we want to see. We don't want to see the dumb other stuff. But yeah, I mean... The rock with hair. I mean, come on. Yeah, that was weird. But when it comes to the initiation act, that's kind of your your whole 
story pretty much. That's yeah, that's the, the that's the that's the chunk, like the middle chunk. That's, yeah, yeah, that's your uh, you know, like the Odyssey, the whole sailing and fighting and sirens and everything. Like that's all that stuff. And then finally, you have the return act. The hero returns in triumph. Now, again, this is the hero's journey. I feel like uh, modern tales tend to not always have the triumphant return. The happy ending. Yeah, I'm sure there's a different category for that, but maybe that story's not about the hero necessarily. But I feel like there's classic hero journey stories that don't end with the hero necessarily winning. But usually there is a resolution and that made them the hero. Usually it's like a sacrifice of some sort. In 2007, screenwriter Christopher Vogler refined Campbell's original structure in this book, The Writer's Journey. In it, Vogler expanded upon Campbell's three phases, defining 12 stages that make it up. This is the version that we'll be dissecting later in the post. Well, shit. The Hero's Journey has its fingerprints in everything from the Lion King and horror novels to Star Wars and Arrival. But keep in mind that you don't necessarily need to follow it beat by beat. You can instead think of it as a map. You can stray from the set path whenever you like, but when you're struggling to figure out what should happen next, it can act as a narrative arc guide to suggest that the next milestone, or what the next milestone should be. See, I like that better. Yeah. Instead of following this strict hero's journey, you use it as your roadmap. So you could divert off from the main road and go in the woods and have whatever happens, but know that maybe this is the point you want to end up, his triumphant return or a certain battle. Like, you want... You need structure to a story. If you just let it flow all over the place, it can be messy and the reader might not care to continue. The, the sacrifice to defeat equal, or to de- defeat evil, you know, that kind of, yeah. that, that kind of stuff. You, you saying you want to sacrifice yourself to defeat equality? That seems pretty <laughs> fucked up, sir. <laughs> I shall have no man equal to no other man. And I will give my life for this. Because it is a hill worth dying on. I don't, I don't know about that. It's awful. Those women, I feel they should not have the right to vote. Jeez, like, Spencer, that's pretty... The, the bad thing is, like, if it, if I was on any scale of the equality, it's on, like, the down scale, and I'm still just like, nay! Nay! <laughs> <laughs> the 12 Heroes Journey Steps. The Hero's Journey is a model for both plot points and character development. As the hero traverses the world, they'll undergo inner and outer transformation at each stage of the journey. The 12 steps of the hero's journey are 1. The ordinary world 2. The call of adventure 3. Refusal of the call 4. Meeting the mentor 5. Crossing the first threshold 6. Test allies enemies 7. Approach to the inmost cave 8. The ordeal 9. Reward Seizing the sword 10. The road back 11. Resurrection 12. Return with the elixir That is a lot. See... That definitely expands upon the original three, which is just uh, pretty much most of this is just that middle part that was on the we, original. You could literally take each one of those things, make a chapter out of that, mm-hmm. and there's your book. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you can make each one of those a 10,000 word chapter. Well, that's a long, fucking long as shit chapter, <laughs> but yeah, you can make each one of those a chapter. Or at least a chapter or two, how it depending on yeah. your, your writing style and stuff like that. But yeah, that basically that's a that's a layout for a whole book right there. Mm-hmm. Something fucking stinks. I smell garlic. Say, is it chicken again? She's using that garlic salt. Somebody's making that. It's like, oh, they're making a podcast. Let me make something stinky. <laughs> These are smells so bad that it interrupts. <laughs> Cooking my mic again. No, I like smelling pretty good now. 
Believe it or not, this story structure also applies across mediums and genres, and also works when your protagonist is an anti-hero. To show you how it can be used outside of your average sword and sorcery books, we've adopted the 1976 film Rocky as an example in each step. Ooh, now we're changing things. Oh, yeah. I kind of wish they would have did Rocky IV. <laughs> That the one with the robot? Like, I feel like, where, where does he come in? And he just suddenly gets, like, super smart and rich. <laughs> yeah. Number one, Ordinary World, in which we meet our hero. The journey has yet to start. Before our hero discovers a strange new world, we must first understand the status quo, their ordinary, mundane reality. Like I was saying, yeah. you have to set up their original, you know, their life before the adventure, before they become anything. Mm. Um, often in the olden days, it was usually the story of a boy becoming a man. Now, you know, you have the ladies going in, little girls coming into womanhood. And there's a lot of stories out there, folks. It doesn't always have to be the boy coming into adult manhood. Lowercase Z's becoming capital Z's. Yeah, Zer's becoming Super Zer. <laughs> super Saiyan Zer. I like the, uh, the theirs becoming thems. <laughs> You know, a person grows. Yeah. They expand. Damn, but we're going to get so much hate. This is supposed to be an educational episode. I'm sorry, folks. We're... You know what you would get it into when you downloaded it. Yeah. He promised. We're not Trumpers. Well, Spencer, he loves him some uh, Bob Dole. It's up to this opening leg to set the stage. Introducing the hero to readers, importantly, it lets readers identify with the hero as a normal person in the normal setting before the journey begins. Well, who gets to define normal? Oh, man, this is a very anti-PC article. I'm sorry, folks. Damn it. You know, as you're reading this, see, if we had video, if we were up, if we were video quality, as you were reading this, you would need your PC principal glasses yeah. as you read this. I, re- I really don't like... How you're doing this, Spencer? How you're just talking about PC people in such a negative way? It's really offensive, and it makes people very upset. <laughs> I think you really need to hold back and, you know, check your privilege. Maybe I'll be that for next Halloween, PC principal. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah, I don't have to do much. It's one of the few superhero-type-looking people I actually look like. Yeah. Because he's, like, kind of buff. Of course, they didn't make him buff in the episode where he had to fight the fake Randy Savage. <laughs> that was a little upsetting. It's like he seemed way buffer in every other episode. Well, you got, you got all them PC babies now, you know, you know, no, no gym time and whatever. True. Example of the ordinary world. In the opening of Rocky, Rocky Balboa is introduced as a mediocre boxer and loan collector. Just doing it. Loan collector. <laughs> yeah. Loan collector. Come on. That's what they call them. I just collect some loans. I'm just getting, oh, you come to the bank and I just, hey, you got to pay if you up. Don't, if you don't have it, I just take your kneecap as collateral. That's all. <laughs> Until you give me the money back. Yeah, you know, you don't pay up, you might have a little medical emergency here. You know, healthcare's not too good in the 70s. It's probably way better than it was now. Anyway, in the opening of Rocky, Rocky Balboa, blah, blah, blah. He's just doing his best to live day to day in a poor part of Philadelphia. All of Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I've never been to stinky Philadelphia. I can't say. We just know that it's always sunny there. Always sunny. Number two, call to adventure in which an adventure starts. The call to adventure is all about booting the hero out of their comfort zone. In this stage, they are generally confronted with the problem or challenge that they can't ignore. The catalyst can take many forms. As Campbell points out in Hero with a Thousand Faces, the hero can, for instance, decide to go forth of their own volition, i.e. Theseus upon arriving in Athens, be sent abroad by a benign or malignant agent, 
i.e. Odysseus setting off on his ship in the Odyssey, stumble upon the adventure as... See, when I ever think of the hero's journey, I always think of just Odysseus, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the main one. The Odyssey is, like, the classic. I feel like that's what set the whole hero's journey into motion. Anyway, stumble upon the adventure as a result of a mere blunder, i.e. Dorothy, when she swept up in a tornado in The Wizard of Oz. Fucking Dorothy. Dumb shoes. <laughs> I feel like the real hero of that story is where the little dancing munchkins. Yeah? Well, I mean, they don't they the ones that pretty much did everything? Well, they, they're just the ones you tell her to walk down the road. Yeah, exactly. They knew where to go. I think they just wanted her out of her town. Like, you're tall. Get out. Go down the road. She dropped a, a fucking house on someone. I mean, but on. it was on a bad person, though. Right? I guess. Which? But who's to say they're bad? It, you know what? I'm not going to be casually strolling when some passing phenomenon catches the wandering eye and lures one away from the frequented paths of man, i.e. Elliot and E.T., upon discovering a lost alien in the toolshed. The stakes of the adventure and the hero's goals become clear. The only question, will he rise to the challenge? And of course he will, because then you have no you have no story otherwise. Yeah, I mean, think of how different these stories would be if, say, Elliot opened the toolshed and said, Nope! <laughs> yeah, fucking just, with yeah, that! Yeah. That's an alien, Mom! <laughs> Government comes, shuts that shit down real quick, game over. Murders E.T. Probably murders Elliot, and they don't want any witnesses. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what if Odysseus was just like, fuck it, I don't want to go. And now we wouldn't have, like, a shitty TV uh, commercial with, uh, have you seen that? No. There's, I forget what it's for, but uh, E.T. comes back and Elliot has a oh, family Oh, I did see stuff. that. I thought you were talking about Odysseus. No, <laughs> I've, I've seen the E.T. one. Um, example of the call to adventure. Apollo Creed, the undisputed world heavyweight champion, decides to make a big fight interesting by giving a no-name a chance to challenge him. Intrigued by the nickname, the Italian Stallion, he rings Rocky up. <laughs> I'd be intrigued by that name, too. <laughs> yeah. Number three, refusal of the call, in which the hero digs in their feet. Great, so the heroes received their summons. Now they're all set to be whisked off to defeat evil, right? Not so fast. The hero might first refuse the call to action. It's risky and there are perils, like spiders, trolls, or perhaps a creepy uncle waiting back at Pride Rock. Oh, I thought that was going somewhere else. <laughs> creepy yeah. uncle. Like, Wait a minute. This took a turn. And even at Pride Rock, that's still... Like, it took me a second because I haven't seen The Lion King in a long time. Yeah. I was like, a creepy uncle? <laughs> What's going to happen? Yeah, I wouldn't want to go on the hero's journey if the fucking creepy uncle was waiting for me. <laughs> And we call him Uncle McFeely Hands. <laughs> anyway, it's enough to give anyone pause. In Star Wars, for instance, Luke Skywalker, I still prefer Luke Skyballer from uh, Max and Miri. But in, for instance, Luke Skywalker initially refuses to join Obi-Wan on his mission to rescue the princess. It's only when he discovers that his aunt and uncle have been killed by stormtroopers that he changes his mind. It's like the only one the stormtroopers ever killed, right? Yeah, that's the only thing they've ever hit. <laughs> they probably like shot 800,000 rounds into the house. Um, I actually prefer stories where the protagonist either refuses or is just hesitant about jumping into the journey. I feel like it gives them a little more character and makes you maybe feel with them more. Because I hate when the protagonist is just all gung-ho. Yeah, I'll just do this shit and save the day. Why not? And it, and it's, uh, it's more realistic. Yeah. And especially if, um, the only time what I made would make sense is if you're writing, like, a series or, like, um... When it comes to, like, comics or anything like that, then it would be like, okay, because that's the... Well, the character's of, already established Yeah, in that so, sense. but yeah, but it's to begin to start out with... Well, even, like, like, Superman, for example. 
you're not going to start off with Superman he, he, once he figures out his powers. He's like, I'm going to go save some shit. Like, you're going to have, like, in Man of Steel, they did with the, he didn't want to necessarily reveal himself. His dad taught him, well, you know, his uncle, fake dad, whatever, taught him that uh, you don't necessarily need to be the hero. Like, he didn't want him exposing himself. Yeah. So when that bus goes underwater, he has a decision to make. It's like, oh, shit. You know, I was thrust into this position. Do I do what I feel I'm supposed to, or do I do what must be done? Yeah. And obviously the and hero he, chooses. And he, later on, he did the same thing for whenever his dad is that tornado. Yeah. And his dad whispers, you know, uh, John Kent whispers, no, not to save him, you know, to so he wouldn't reveal himself, even though that he that's something he really wanted to do. Exactly. And regrets now, which infects, like, the way that he acts now. He will, mm-hmm. like, Superman's big thing is, like, he tries to save everyone. Yeah, he doesn't even, want to leave anybody behind. Even though that he knows that he can't, he's going to try to save as many as he can. See, that's a good way to develop a character, because if you didn't have that little part, then why is Superman so gung-ho on saving everybody? You don't have that established in his character arc of why he would feel the need to, uh... Be this big hero just because he has power. Because just because you give somebody superpowers doesn't automatically mean they're going to do good. Not to go on a little tangent here, but I I was listening to another podcast and they brought Mark Wade, who's a big comic book writer, legend guy. Brought, uh, they were talking about Superman and they brought up a, like a quote that he said that Superman, one of the great things about Superman is that he can literally hear like everybody on the planet that needs help. And him having to try to figure out who he can save, how he can save him. And then even as he's going to bed at night, he still hears people crying out with those people. But able to go to, you know, go to bed and then wake up in, in the morning and do it all over again. Even though knowing that he's not able to save yeah, everybody, everybody. But he's going to do his damn best to save as many as he can. But still knowing that there's still people that he can't save. And I never looked at it like that before. And I was like, wow, that does... Add, like, another layer to that character that I never thought about. Yeah, that, that's, like, a real moral... Dis- well, I mean, because also, I mean, he's Superman, so I don't know how much he has to sleep, but you can't just constantly be... Like, you'd go yeah. insane if you're just always saving people. So, he being able to hear everybody, he knows that he can't save them, and sometimes he might be able to save them, but he has to decide, like, hey, you know, if somebody in China is screaming yeah. for help, it's like, maybe he can go save them in time. But can he save more people by this boat that's yeah, sitting out in the ocean or something? There's always a decision. An example of the refusal of the call. Rocky says thanks but no thanks to Creed's invitation. He's reluctant given that he has no trainer and is incredibly out of shape. I wish I was out of shape like Sylvester Stallone. Like, <laughs> I wish that was my out of shape. Yeah, even Sylvester Stallone now. Or uh, the, the Jason Momoa dad bod thing. Like, I wish I was that jacked. That's uh, people are so stupid. We talked about that. We you can find it in old episodes. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we. On on one of our D D DBS episodes, I do believe. Yes, not to be confused with their IBS episodes. <laughs> Those are whole other thing. <laughs> Those are kind of gross, <laughs> but they're doing really well. People love to hear that. Number four, meeting the mentor, in which the hero acquires a personal trainer. Oh shit, son. The here, I also like that. You always got to have the Master Roshi, yeah. the uh, old sensei, the, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, maybe like the Alfred. Like you always have somebody that can, they're there for you. They teach you the right way. They steer you in the direction. Because again, nobody can just turn into a hero 
and just like, okay, this is what I'm going to go do. Like, you need some, you have to, there has to be some kind of model for you to yeah. go by. Like, there has to be a map to a degree. The heroes decided to go on the adventure, but they're not ready to spread their wings yet. They're much too inexperienced at this point. We don't want them to do a fabulous belly flop off the cliff. Enter the mentor, someone who helps the hero so that so that they doesn't make a total fool. Who wrote this? So that they doesn't. <laughs> I'm going to read this correctly. Enter the mentor, someone who helps the hero so that, so that they don't make a total fool of themselves or get themselves killed. The mentor provides practical training, profound wisdom, a kick up the posterior, or something abstract like grit and self-confidence. Wise old wizards seem to like being mentors, but mentors take many forms, from witches to hermits and suburban karate instructors. They might literally give weapons to prepare for the trials ahead, like Q in the James Bond series, or perhaps the mentor is an object, such as a map. In all the cases, they prepare the hero for the next step. Example of meeting the mentor. In Steps, former boxer Mickey Mighty Mick Goldmill, who sees potential in Rocky and starts training him physically and mentally for the fight. I didn't know his name was Mighty Mick Goldmill. No, I just said it was Mickey. Yeah, I was just, hey, Mick, cut the Mick. me, Mick. Rock. Hey, rock. Number five, crossing the first threshold, in which the hero enters the other world in earnest. Now the hero is ready and committed to the journey. This marks the end of the departure stage and is when the adventure really kicks into the next gear. As Vogler writes, this is the moment that the balloon goes up, the ship sails, the romance begins, the wagon gets rolling. From this point on, there's no turning back. Like our hero, you should think of this stage as a checkpoint for your story. Pause and reassess your bearings before you continue into unfamiliar territory. Have you launched the central conflict? If not, here's a post on blah blah blah. Go to the article for these posts. Establish the theme of your book. Make Made headway into your character development. Example of crossing the first threshold. Rocky fully accepts the gauntlet to square up when he crosses the threshold into his love interest, Adrian's house, and asks her out on a date. That was the most awkward romance I remember in the movie. Like, those two. Like, they were both, like... It was like seeing, like, the two slow kids in school hooking up. <laughs> I mean, she wasn't, like, slow. She was, like, painfully painfully shy. Yeah. And Sylvester Stallone, he kind of came off as a dunderhead. Like, he was a real puddinghead. Just, I'm going to put it out there. I mean, maybe he had CTE real bad. I don't know. But it doesn't really make sense because, like, in the newer Rocky movies, he's definitely not such a fucking potato. Like, he's a little more, even though he's rolled, his face looks like a fucking potato, his brain seems to be, like, he has better dialogue and he seems a little smarter. But in that first Rocky especially, he was a straight up fucking mook. Like, he was like, he's just dumb. Like he threw that ball in the air and caught it, and that's like his brain, like his two atoms going up and down. He had a couple neurons there. Then Adrian was all shy and mousy and just like, eh. like imagine them doing it. That'd be weird. Yeah, that's a weird sex scene. Like I just picture him punching that fucking dead cow hanging on the, <laughs> in the butcher thing, and she's she's the dead cow, just not moving. I don't know. I just I want to go back to that because I watched that not that long ago again, and it was. I'm not Italian either, so I don't get all pumped up by those movies as much as Italian. Because they really, they're like, fuck yeah! I mean, they put a statue up of that guy. Like, yeah. he's a real man. He's like, like, a, real, like a real statue. Yeah. It was a fake statue in the movie, but now it's a real statue in real life. Yeah, fucking racist-ass Philadelphia doesn't have Joe Frazier. They don't have a Joe Frazier statue, even though he's actually a world heavyweight champion from their city. But they got fake Rocky. <laughs> fucking Philadelphia, you suck. Should have set that movie in Pittsburgh. Nobody would have saw it then. 
Number six. Oh, can you imagine all the yuns in it? <laughs> well, that might have fit his fucking speaking style. <laughs> well, why was Rocky the hero of Philadelphia when he's clearly like from New York or something? The way he, I, I don't know. I don't talk about this anymore. Number six, test, allies, enemies, in which the hero forces new challenges and gets a squad. He squads up. Squads goes up. Goes deep, goes hard. When we step into the special world, we notice a define, a definite shift. The hero might be discombobulated, but I never read that word before. Discombobulated? Yeah, I never read it in, on, in print. Huh. It's a long word. Yeah. The hero might be discombobulated by his unfamiliar reality and its new rules. This is generally one of the longest stages in the story as our protagonist gets to grips with this new world. This makes a prime hunting ground for the series of tests to pass. Luckily, there are many ways for the hero to get into trouble. In Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Spencer Bethany, Fridge, and Martha get off to a bad start when they bump into a herd of bloodthirsty hippos. The fuck was Welcome to the Jungle? Is that the new one? Yeah, I think that's the the rock one, yeah. No, I didn't read that or watch it or whatever. I kind of, like, I didn't see the first one. I want to see the second one, I though. definitely want to see the second one because I want to see the rock be Danny DeVito. It looks hilarious. Like, it looks way more interesting than the first one. In this first few months at Hogwarts, Harry Potter manages to fight a troll, almost fall from a broomstick and die, and get horribly lost in the Forbidden Forest. Marlon and Dory encounter three reformed sharks, get shocked by jellyfish, and are swallowed by a blue whale en route to finding Nemo. This stage often expands the cast of characters. Once the protagonist is in the special world, he will meet allies and enemies, or foes that turn out to be friends, and vice versa. He will learn a new set of rules from them. Saloons and CD bars are popular places for these transactions. As Vogler points out, so long as the hero survives them. Examples of Tess, allies, and enemies. Rocky continues to try and win over Adrian while making a dubious friend in Polly. Polly was another fucking skeezy fuck. <laughs> if you think about it, none of the characters in that movie were likable. No. Maybe Mick, who's always yelling. But think, like, Adrian was, uh, boring. Rocky was mentally challenged. Polly was a douche. By the way, I mean, you can make fun of Rocky because he fucking broke people's legs for money. Yeah. You know, he's alone fucking... What do they call him? A loan collector. Yeah, a loan collector. <laughs> um, yeah, then Apollo Creed was an asshole. Just everybody in that movie was kind of a jerk. It was said in Philly. Makes sense. <laughs> Number seven, approach to the inmost cave in which the hero gets closer to his goal. This isn't a physical cave. Instead, the inmost cave refers to the most dangerous spot in the other realm. Whether that's the villain's chambers, the lair of the fearsome dragon, or the Death Star, almost always it is where the ultimate goal of the quest is located. Note that the protagonist hasn't entered the inmost cave yet. This stage is all about the approach to it. It covers all the prep work that's needed in order to, de- to defeat the villain. Um, before I get to their example, my example would be the scene in The Princess Bride when they bring the man in black, Wesley, back to life but he can't walk yet or anything he's kind of paralyzed so him andre the giant and uh indigo they're propped up outside the castle with a whole bunch of men and they're coming up with their plan to storm the castle and save the princess you always it is a thing that it's all it's it's always fought on like the bad guys turf yeah well yeah if it was on the good guys turf well that's not true think about uh the fight in wakanda Mm. black panther that was on the good guys turf yeah yeah, I guess. And Endgame was fought on Earth. Well, yeah, I mean, but... Theron Thanos is a very different kind of character set up that way. Yeah. Eh, whatever. 
Example of the approach to the inmost cave. The inmost cave in Rocky is Rocky's own mind. Oh, come on. He fears that he'll never amount... (laughs) He fears that he'll never amount to anything. Something that he reveals when he butts heads with his trainer, Mickey, in his apartment. I can't do it, Mick. He's just too good. He's got too much muscles and he's got that swag. I don't know what to do, Mick. I'm a bum. I'm always going to be a bum. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go shoot some pornos, and that's how the Italian stallion came to be. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that. That was awful. It's just like Stallone and a bunch of people like dancing in a circle naked. No, I don't remember even seeing any boners in that movie. A lot of hair though. A lot of hair. I say, is he as bad? Because I never, I haven't got around to see the the Creed movies. No, is the Creed he... movies are really good, and his acting like was Oscar worthy at least the first Creed. So that's why I said like he got way smarter. And just better acting in by those movies. But the first Rocky, like, I can see why they didn't want him to actually be in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> they just wanted to buy it off him. They're like, no, we don't want you in this movie. Of course, he stole that whole movie from, like, an actual boxer. Like, that was a real guy's life. Yeah. Who uh, fought uh, Muhammad Ali and knocked him down. Number eight, Ordeal. In which the hero faces his biggest test of all thus far. Of all the tests the hero has faced, none have made them hit rock bottom. Until now. Vogler describes this phase as a black moment. Ooh. Campbell refers to it as the belly of the whale. Both indicate some grim views for the hero. The protagonist must now confront their greatest fear. If they survive it, they will merge transform. This is a critical moment in the story, as Vogler explains that it will inform every decision that the hero makes from this point forward. The ordeal is sometimes not the climax of the story. There's more to come. <laughs> but you can think of it as the main event of the second act. <laughs> The one in which the hero actually earns the title of hero. Example of the ordeal. The start of the training montage marks the beginning of Rocky's ordeal. He pushes through until he glimpses hope ahead while running up the museum steps. Raising his arm in triumph, I might add. Stop, I don't want to You're not even doing it right, so don't worry. Because I don't want to get sued. (laughs) Who's going to sue us? I'm Who sure wrote they're... Eye of the Tiger? Are they still alive? I'm, yeah, I'm sure they are, and I'm sure they need the money. <laughs> Number nine, reward, seizing the sword, in which the hero sees light at the end of the tunnel. Our hero's been through a lot. However, the fruits of their labor are now at hand. If they can just reach out and grab them, the reward is the object of knowledge the hero has fought throughout the entire journey to hold. Once the protagonist has it in their possession, it generally has greater ramifications for the story. Vogler offers a few examples of it in action. Luke rescues Princess Leia and captures the plans of the Death Star, keys to defeating Darth Vader. Dorothy escapes from the Wicked Witch's castle with the broomstick and the ruby slippers, keys to getting back home. Example of their reward, seizing the sword. Rocky's reward is the return of his faith in himself. He regains the self-esteem to realize that he has the stuff to take the Apollo Creed, take on Apollo Creed, win or lose. I'm feeling like Rocky wasn't the best... Like, choice. Yeah, for the uh, hero's journey. Because most of this just seems to be mental stuff he's facing. You know what I keep on thinking as this, as we keep on going through these? And I know it would make no sense for this whole article because it's probably not, you know, wouldn't we just write as an audience. But just Goku, the whole time. as Just you've been Goku would be a much better <laughs> hero's journey, most likely. Of course, Goku is the least developed character in... Uh, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, we'll DBS that one. 
We could combine that to do a hero's journey Goku. Oh yeah. I think I showed you a video once that was really excellent on that. Dude and about the character development, him and Vegeta and Yeah, he's a, he has a whole bunch of other uh videos now. He's been out yeah, for Yeah, like you year. told me you got lost in that wormhole. Yeah, man, they're all good. Um I wish I knew that guy's name out shot uh, out. Not uh totally not Mark or not Mark something like that. Totally not Mark. That's wrong. Sorry folks. Sorry, Mark. Number 10, The Road Back, in which the light at the end of the tunnel might be a little further than the hero thought. This goes with, like, Odysseus when he had a comeback, didn't he? Uh, I forget, one of his guys opened up a box or did something stupid that made them blow all the way back out to sea yeah, and they, like, yeah. right when they were about to come home. And then there was, like, another 50 years of struggle or some shit. Well, didn't he, didn't something like that happen twice? Didn't, uh, he, didn't he almost get home twice? I think so. I read, I think, The Iliad. That's the first one, right? I think so. I haven't read those, but a while ago, like, yeah, that's probably like five or six years ago. Um, uh, the History Channel had like a mini series called like Clash of the Clash of the Gods, and like they just kind of went through, yeah, uh, each one of those kind of stories, mm-hmm. and had like scholars and historians talk about, it, and then they had like you know like actors playing out some of the parts, but like they did like you know like that Hercules, the Minotaur, like all the, all those kind of stuff. They were pretty good. Maybe next year we'll go into reading uh, some mythology. I think that'll be a good... Maybe we should probably do an episode on that, too. Anyway, going back to the road back. The story's not over just yet. As the phase marks the beginning of Act 3, now that he sees the reward, the hero tries to return to the ordinary world, but more dangers, inconveniently, arise on the road back from the inmost cave. Well, of course they do. What fun would a story be if they just came back and it was all over? That's when you rush the story. Yeah. More precisely, the hero must deal with the consequences and aftermath of the previous act. The dragon, enraged by the hero who's just stolen a treasure from under his nose, starts the hunt. Or perhaps the opposing army gathers to pursue the hero across a crowded battlefield. All further obstacles for the hero, who must face them down before they can return home. Example of the road back. On New Year's Day, the fight between Rocky and Creed is held. Rocky realizes the challenge that lies before him in the first few rounds in which both men are more or less equally matched. Again, I never would view that fight as the road back, or because then you have to break down the fight into its own hero's journey, yeah. I feel like. Like, it doesn't make sense to me, because that, if anything, that's the climax of the movie, is the fight that builds up to, you know, him almost winning or losing. Which, that's one thing that I do give Rocky credit for, is him not winning. Yeah, he At didn't win. At the end, that... I, I do like that about it. Though like, they really did make up for that when he uh, fought Ivan Drago and had Russia chanting for him when he yeah. won. It's like, no, he, like, he, he ended the Cold War. That was ridiculous. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Was that the one with the robot, too? <laughs> was that Rocky IV? Uh, Rocky III is when he fought Mr. T. So it had to be Rocky IV, right? Yeah, and then... Um... And then five was whenever he had the uh, fought the. Uh, we really don't talk about that one. With, with his Tommy gun and the, Tommy and, gun, and, and, they and, fought and, in the street. And, yeah, they tried to like mix MMA into it in the street fight. It was really dumb. Number eleven, resurrection, in which the last test is met. Here's the true climax of the story. Everything that happened prior to this stage culminates in a crowning test for the hero, as the dark side gets one last chance to triumph over the er- evil over the hero. I started reading that like I was reading the word gyro, <laughs> which is also pronounced hero, actually. So, yeah. But I always pronounce it gyro because I'm stupid. Anyway, Vogler refers to this as a final exam for the hero. They must be tested once more to see if they have really learned the lessons of the ordeal. 
It's in this final battle that the protagonist goes through one more resurrection. As a result, this is where you'll get most of your miraculous near-death escapes, a la James Bond's dashing deliverances. If the hero... Sorry, I just wanted to combine James Bond into the movie Deliverance. Imagine what those fucking hillbillies would get then. (laughs) Cunning James Bond tied to a tree. And maybe he has a gadget right when they're about to come after him. That'd be the time that the gadget fails and he has to screw like a pig. Oh, man. Sorry, Daniel Craig. I mean, double oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry. That would happen to Roger Moore, not Daniel Craig. Anyway, if the hero survives, they can start looking forward to a sweet ending. Unless you're in the deliverance world. That's a different kind of hero's journey. (laughs) Happy ending. Uh, Happy for some, maybe. Happy for Burt Reynolds, if anybody. (laughs) I think he's the only one that really got out of that unscathed. And the banjo kid. Example of the well, res- even after murdering everybody, are you really that unscathed afterwards? I feel like as long as you weren't the piggy guy, you're doing all right. Example of the resurrection. Rocky's knocked down more than a few times as the fight continues. The entire fight winds up lasting 15 rounds and takes both men to the brink of exhaustion. I just remember Apollo Creed. Ain't gonna be no rematch. Ain't gonna be no rematch. And uh, there was, wasn't there? Isn't that what happened in the second one? The Rocky yeah. one? Yeah. Isn't that, and that's how he gets the bow, right? And they become buddies. Yeah, and then he... I don't remember. Yeah. Those movies blending. They're all the same movie. My brother's gonna kill me. He's a, He was a pretty big Rocky fan. He's fucking it all up! You guys are fucking it <laughs> up! Like, how I, like, I'll give whenever they talk about, like, superhero stuff. I'm like, no, you guys are stupid! No, this is his turn, no. Rocky is not retarded! <laughs> He's just a shy, quiet guy! He's not dumb! He's very smart! He knows what he's doing. He's a, he's a ring tactician. I'm sorry, but he's not. He just fucking blocks every punch with his face. <laughs> he took his cues from Muhammad Ali and just like you get tired beating his face in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 12. Return with the elixir in which our hero has a triumphant homecoming. This is the end of this. Finally, the hero gets to return home. However, they go back a different person than when they started out. They've grown and matured as a result of the journey they've taken. Often, the boy becomes a man. But we've got to see them bring home the bacon, right? That's why the protagonist must return with the elixir, or the prize, won during the journey. Whether that's an object or knowledge, an insight gained. Of course, it's possible for a story to end on the, an elixir-less note. But then the hero would be doomed to repeat the entire adventure. Example of the return with the elixir? Rocky doesn't win the fight, but he doesn't care. He won back his confidence and beaten his mental demons. And he's got Adrian, who tells him that she loves him. Oh, about time she said something. <laughs> who's who's more mousy, her or the mom from The Shining? Like if you had like a little weird. Shelley Duvall is way more mousy because she actually looks like a mouse. <laughs> um. Both could play olive oil. I'm sure one actually did. I forget. I think one of them played olive oil, if I remember correctly, in a Robin Williams adaptation. Or maybe a previous. I don't know. Popeye had some tumors on his forearms. That's all I ever remember. He clearly had a stroke, too. I think that's actually a family guy joke I'm ripping off. Yeah. That's the problem when you try to be funny. Is Sometimes you rip off stuff that you just remember or don't remember, but it's in your brain. Yeah. So we probably do that way too much. Oh, all the time. That's how comedy I'm sure works. anything I've said that was remotely funny it was somebody, not original. Yeah, somebody else already said it. Free infographic, the hero's journey template, and uh, that's a pretty helpful template. So I will put 
this in the show notes. Again, that's blog.readsy.com heroes journey backslash heroes journey. If you want to check it out, but go to the show notes. We'll have it there for you. Um, it's a very, very detailed article and they also have a lot of infographics that have uh, different things for plotting your novel and it looks like a site I might actually go to more often. I really like that. That didn't take that long. It's only no. 45 minutes. Uh, I got some good useful information for that. The main thing I wanted to, uh, the reason why I wanted to go over the hero's journey is because one, we've been writing longer stories yeah. now and two, I feel like we never really fully utilize the hero's journey no. in our stories. We always kind of write even when we're not writing, like, grim, darker tales, like, I feel like we don't necessarily hit the right points. And I think that's because we don't really go to Hero's Journey. We don't have the solid conclusion. And that's what leaves readers satisfied. Yeah. Is you have the start with the character, you have the whole middle and their ordeal, and then you have the end where there's the resolution and what they've learned and things like that. And I feel like we always are just kind of writing the middle. Mm. Like, we have the – again, it's because a lot of shorter stories, but still, we always kind of hit – the whole middle where we just get into the action and things like that. But we don't actually establish a solid foundation. Yeah. And then because of that, the ending doesn't have as much of a hit that it normally would. So I think that would be something to work on. But again, with longer stories, that's when that you, comes in a little better. You have more room to grow that mm-hmm. kind of stuff in. Yeah, because with short stories, and especially with well, flat fiction, you really can't. No. But like short stories of up to 5,000 words, even up to 10,000, those are usually... I can't say I've ever read a full story, a short story like that that had the hero's journey that was 10,000 words or less. I mean, even like when I was reading the Clive Barker collection, I don't think any of those would be considered the hero's journey for the most part. And those were, most of those stories are 40 to 50 pages each. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of flesh. There's character development and a lot of fleshing out of things. Um, same with Stephen King. A lot of his stories, they don't have the hero's journey in those short stories because I don't think you really yeah. can. Um, you're just... You need at least a full novel, I think, to tell a proper hero's journey. I'm going to go ahead and give you... Well, first, before we... What's your favorite hero journey tale? Like, have you read maybe novel? We'll go novels, not comics or anything. We'll just yeah. go, what's your favorite novel that, uh, you know, your hero's starting from his comfort level of being home or wherever. He goes out to explore something, gets sucked into an adventure, and then he has an ending with a conclusion after a climax. See, see, that's kind of hard for me because, like, a lot of what I've read has been Stephen King stuff, and, like, he doesn't necessarily follow that that model too well. You don't feel that perhaps a... Uh, maybe, the, like, the, the, the stand? The stand could be considered, I mean, but what I like, a pet cemetery. I mean, it doesn't have to be, again, like they said, it doesn't have to necessarily be, like, a happy ending yeah. or... I mean, the hero doesn't necessarily even have to win, which obviously with horror, you don't have a lot, yeah. especially Stephen King. Um, I mean, like, Carrie was kind of like the hero's journey that went tragic. Like, I think yeah. there would be a tragic Carey's version journey, of yeah. it. Yeah, because she started off, it, it had her home life, which wasn't good, and they developed the character, and then as you go, she kind of, especially like if you went by the movie version, uh, she learns about her powers, and there's a point where it seems like, okay, maybe she is going to turn, like, up to the homecoming yeah. scene. It's like, oh, well, you know, she's a homecoming queen. You can see her life turning around. Yeah. And you see that hero's journey, but it's like, the, what it's pretty much what would happen if the hero lost during yeah. the big climax. That's, that'd be the tragic story of Carrie. And I feel like Stephen King usually goes that route. Yeah. Almost every story of Stephen <laughs> King's probably goes that route. Um, 
if I'm gonna go with mine, my all-time favorite, uh, and this was, I'm pretty sure, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like the another classic um, adventure table. This was actually based on a real guy, but this was the fictional version, which was uh, Musashi by. Uh, I had to look it up because the yeah. the name's hard to get. Eji Yoshikawa, and uh, I've been trying to get you to read this. It's such a good book. Um, but that's the it's the tale of the Musashi uh, Miyamoto Musashi, who's a real person, and he's had a lot of fictitious versions of his biography because he was such an like one of those figures in history that was so amazing. People, like people pull a lot of of his yeah. actual life into their fiction. Yeah, he was considered the greatest samurai of all time, and um, and like. In Musashi, it starts off with you know, his life at the very beginning, and then it goes to him getting into swordsmanship, and he's kind of like wild, and then he gets into a, that Vagabond series based yeah. on that too, um, and then like he gets captured or arrested or something, and he ha- and they like he he becomes like a learned man, an educated man, and then uh, that would be you know kind of his mentor. He's learning and reading, and then. Uh, he becomes a great swordsman, a great artist, a great philosopher. And then at the end, it culminates with the final battle that he's challenged to. And the book's great with having other characters all in their little journeys, too. And then it all culminates in the final. I, see, I have been wanting to check out some of some of that, uh, like the Japanese literature and the new and old stuff. Because you've been talking about, you've been you've been really reading that stuff and been talking great things about it. Well, I will let you borrow Masashi because I think that's a great introduction into Japanese literature because it's a fun adventure story yeah. and because it, like Japanese culture has uh, it's a lot of like what they call aimai, which is ambiguity. Ambiguity. It's a hard word. <laughs> ambiguity. Oh. But uh, everything's very ambiguous. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Just figure out a different way to say. It. Yeah. <laughs> they have a. Uh, very ambiguous nature to them. So again, we talk about problem with translations. Well, even with properly or the best you can do with English translations from Japanese, in classic Japanese literature, especially because that's before they were Westernized, yeah. the the country is more Westernized. They uh, had a problem where a lot of things might come off kind of vague, so you don't necessarily understand certain elements because it's not like us where everything's kind of just like shown yeah. to you. Like, uh, Japanese culture has a lot of, uh, what they call, like, beauty and silence, uh, where we would have, you know, the awkward silence. Yeah. Over there, they just kind of relish in it. So, that's why, because I was reading a thing about Japanese haiku, and one reason why we never really understand it is because of how they view beauty and art and things like that is so much different than ours. So, for instance, like, one of the most famous Japanese haikus was something like, the frog jumped in the old pond, it made a noise. And that's obviously like the translation. That's the best they can do. And that obviously is not capturing yeah. the haiku properly. So you'll get that with a lot of classic stuff. But like the Musashi, I think would be a good introduction because it's just a fun story. Are those trans, what's more harder to, to read? Those translations or any HP Lovecraft thing ever. Like even like a like a hand note he wrote wrote to like, you know, a loved one. I would say it's probably easier to learn um Japanese, Japanese <laughs> and how to read Japanese and all the kanji characters and just read a Japanese novel than it is to read HP <laughs> Lovecraft. Because you finally dived into the HP Lovecraft and now you're feeling the pain I felt yeah. for a year when I read this whole collection. 
That's probably how long it did. Is that how long it took you a whole year just to read? I through? took a lot of breaks, but I would read like two or three stories, and then I'd have to take like a month off because <laughs> it's just so dense. Yeah, because you're what you're what reading color out of space. Yeah, and that's one of the easier ones. Yeah, right. It's one of the more understandable ones. But to go back to mine, I as we were talking, I of the stand, yes, because the stand is like the ultimate like good versus evil. And, um, these characters, like, their normal lives before this, this, um, this flu took out the majority of the population, and the, the trials that they, that they, that each individual goes through, uh, before they come together, and then the, 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 the stand that they have to make at the end against, you know. I also, that's very true, but I would also suggest, uh. I don't know to suggest, but a book we both read that was uh, more of a fun read, and I would say it's the classic hero's journey, Artemis. Yeah. Sci-fi version, but in perfect introduction to the character. Yeah. Has great action, great climax, great ending, personally, is what I thought. So, like, that's a, a quicker read, so if anybody wanted, like, a sci-fi fan would want to get into that, I would recommend something like Artemis. It's not a series, so yeah. you don't have to read 15 books. Um, before we end this... I wanted, because I don't remember if I brought this up to you or not, but because since we're talking about the hero's journey, this is a kind of a depressing version. But for our next book cast, where okay. we, like me and Ashley, we did House of Leaves last yeah. time, if you wanted to get in on this one, we're thinking of after the holidays, reading Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Oh, I heard that just makes you yeah. kill yourself. Yeah, it's gonna be depressing, but because I know, like, I was just I watched some of the movie <laughs> and <laughs> I wanted to fucking put a gun in my mouth. <laughs> so what? That's why I figured after the holidays, and then you know everything's like dark and you're feeling bad and just naturally depressed from no sun and everything. So I had to figure that's perfect. <laughs> it feels like the road outside today. Yeah, I think it's only a couple hundred pages, so that's just not... Yeah, good. I don't think it's a big one, but... Yeah, so we'll be able to breeze through that one, unlike House of Leaves, which was really a tough read. So if you're interested in hopping on that, yeah, you can... Because yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll probably buy that after Christmas, and... Uh, yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the... the Fucking people really love the House of Leaves ones we did, so... Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't know why, but they did. I think mainly just us making fun of how uh, Had, well, ridiculous the, it was. But this yeah. one, we can make fun of how depressing it is. We'll try to make it upbeat. Gallows just, humor, if you will. Just from, like, looking through that book of House of Leaves, it was just... It, why would anybody want to read you, it, let alone make that? I wonder, could you get that book on Kindle? And if you did, what would it be like? You can, but I was wondering that myself. I was like, I don't think it would be the same. You have to hold that book. That has yeah. to be an actual physical book to read, I think. If you had the Kindle version, which it does exist, it would be it'd probably suck ass. It wouldn't be fun. Be flipping things. Yeah, it'd be weird. Uh, but anyway, if you folks wanna tell us how much you love us, you go to drunkenpenwriting.com. Hit us up on Twitter at drunkpenwriting, or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkenpenwriting. We are uh, classy folks. We share things. We we tell you how much we care about you. We tuck you into bed at night. And uh, we've also been shooting around the idea of a Patreon, so if you have any ideas for what we could post on that, let us know. We uh, have a couple cool things uh, brewing in our heads, but we would love to hear from you guys and ladies and zers and thems. And I want to do, you know how they have the 12 Days of Christmas song? I want to do like the 72 genders of uh, humans. (laughs) (laughs) I think that'd be like... (laughs) As long as we don't go to Canada, we should be fine. 
72 zers a zering. 30 or 71 <laughs> thems a zering. Zering. <laughs> That's sad. I should really read that list. I don't remember all of them. Um, all right, folks. Well, I don't know when this episode will drop, but if it... It should be before the holidays, right? Yeah, so... Happy holidays. Yes. And, uh... Whatever we'll, those may be. Yeah. Check us out for the new year. We might have another one out before the new year. I'm sure we will. We should do a New Year's one. Are you off New Year's Day? I don't know yet. That'd be on She's the- off. I know. I'm, I'm off. off the day. New Year's Day is what I'm saying, but New Year's Eve. But I'm off in the evenings. Yeah. Are you off in the evening and the next day, preferably, just because cause we're, we were going to go do some fun stuff in Pittsburgh, but... uh just fucking who wants to drive and especially around the night like yeah New Year's oh, yeah, yeah that's gonna be rough yeah so we'll probably just do what we always do and stay here and just uh well this it's 2020 so we were kind of hoping to do a uh you know fitzgerald great gatsby style ironic gatsby party <laughs> but we don't have friends so we're just gonna drink gin i oh, guess so do, you, do you have the hats and the dresses that's another thing i don't want to spend money on that so i'm probably just gonna wear a fancy robe whatever shut up don't judge me i'm not no judgment yeah, but uh, twenty twenty to twenty thirty is gonna be us just uh living the jazz age again. So stick around.